It's a truth that I need to hear, though. See, the truth offends. The, the truth is what it is. But the reality is, we know this, the truth will set us free. We're either walking in truth or walking in untruth. There's no middle ground. If you ride the fence, you got to remember, as one person said, Satan owns the fence. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. As you're turning there, today we're talking about the subject matter through this epistle, these three verses of holiness and obedience. Holiness and obedience. We ask the question when we say those two words, holiness and obedience, we ask, what's the big deal? I mean, what's the big deal? Is there really any big deal to obey God? Is there any big deal to give holiness to God as we live that life? Is it really that important? Well, I pray that we will see from God's Word the critical nature of this. And so, here in 1 Peter chapter 1, 14-16, here's what the Word of God says in reading from the ESV translation. As obedient children, very important, do not, do not what? Do not be conformed to what? To the passions of your former ignorance. 15, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy. When? Where? In all your conduct. Now look at verse 16. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The context there in 1 Peter 1.13, for you that were here last week, and for you that weren't, we will look at that just for a moment. So look in your Bible, just go up to verse 13. Here's what we learned. It says this, therefore, preparing your minds, uh, literally uh, girding up your minds, uh, taking the loose ends of your minds today and preparing them. There's a preparation. There's an intentionality because we know this church that the battlefield is in the mind. But we know this. The more you think about a problem, the bigger the problem becomes. That as we deal in the circus between the ears, the ping pong match that goes on up there in my head and your head of do we walk in light, do we walk in truth, there's this constant battlefield going on. And Peter, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 13 says, prepare, take action. He's writing to a group of people that are persecuted, they've been put to flight for their faith. And he's given them detailed instruction through these verses to say, this is how this works. This is how you need to roll. That you prepare your mind for action, verse 13. Going a little bit further, he then goes on and says this, which is so beautiful. He says these incredible words. He says, be sober-minded, which literally means this. I mean, when you look at it in the original language, it literally means to be self-controlled. Now, how do you get self-controlled, church? You know this. By the power of the... Holy Spirit. It's part of the fruit, Galatians 5, of the Spirit. So he says, prepare your minds for action. Don't be idle. Don't be lukewarm. Don't be apathetic. Don't be indifferent. You're in a battle, whether you want to admit it or not. The reality is this, that living in denial will never change reality. You can live in denial all day long, but it will never change reality. So here Peter is saying, 
Prepare intentionally your minds for action as you're self-controlled. And then he says these beautiful words in 13. He goes, set your hope. It literally means this, to missile lock your hope. Not your hope of, man, I'm wishing, I'm hoping, I'm crossing my fingers. You know, I got fuzzy dice around my mirror in my car, so I'm hoping this works out. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this, I have such a hope in Jesus, that my hope is a confidence in Him. It's an unwavering confidence that can never be shaken. And we're to set our gaze. We're to set our gaze on the One who took our place. That's where your hope, that's where your identity, that's where your security is in life. And he identifies it there in 13 by concludes when he says, set your hope fully on the grace, the charis, the unmerited favor that will be brought to you at the revelation, at the revealing, as the lid is open of Jesus Christ. What an awesome day that's going to be, Amen. There's nothing, listen closely, there's nothing greater in your life than giving your life fully to Jesus so that on that day when you stand face to face with the King, it's going to be worth it all. So Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, now begins in 14 to put some some bones on this, so to speak. When he says these words in verse 14 of chapter 1, 1 Peter, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former, don't miss this, ignorance. So this is intriguing. So if Peter here, and he is in verse 14, is saying, do not be conformed we can deduct right here in your Bible at a very elementary level that there could be the temptation to disobey. Matter of fact, if we're honest, we're in church, don't lie. There is a temptation to disobey, amen? I mean, just think about this. He uses the words obedient children. Now, part of the argument is valid on this. When you look at Scripture, especially in the New Testament, you will see various writers, whether it be John or Paul, he'll refer, they will refer to their audience as children. It's a loving, endearing term. I find this interesting, though, that right here, Peter uses the words back-to-back, obedience, obedient, and children. Now, typically, if your parents in the room, how many parents in the room today? Raise your hands. Get them up high. Don't be embarrassed. Okay. Typically, the word obedient and children don't go together. And all God's parents said, amen, right? It's very interesting when you think through this because here's the reality, whether you're a child numerically or an adult, here is the truth. We are all, myself at the top of the list, on a constant journey of warring against rebellion and defiance. No matter how old you are, there's this constant pull to rebel, this constant pull to be defiant. And here Peter is writing to this audience that's persecuted, saying, as obedient children. In other words, he's lining this up going, this is how you do this. You're obedient and you're children. And when you think about that word obedience, it's very interesting. When you think about that word obedient, you got two parts here when you think about this in your Bible in front of you. You have this being, we'll call it, a resolutely attentive. And then on the back end, when you look at that word, you also have this total submission. Going back to the parents in the room. When you speak to your child and you say, I need you to obey me, often you are saying something in this realm, I need you give me your eyes, right? Sometimes maybe you do that. Give me your eyes. 
look me in the eyes because I need you to be attentive, but also you're saying to them, I need you to be joyfully submissive. So when Peter is putting this all together, he's taking this puzzle, so to speak, where in verse 14, we've studied 13 verses prior, we're in 14, 15, and 16, and we're studying this concept of holiness and obedience, and how does that work in the true believer's life? He says, look, you are obedient children. You're persecuted for your faith. And your goal and your aim must be those that want to desperately please the one who set you free. But obedience is hard. It's not easy. Do not be conformed. So he says here, as obedient children, do not. It's a command. Do not be conformed. Do not what? Do not become like. The visual would be this, to not be fashioned into. For you that work perhaps with molds, not like the mold on your bread or on the cheese, but a mold. And you take a substrate. It could be, let's say you take a candle and you melt it and you pour it into a mold. You take another substrate like plastic and you melt it and you pour it into a mold. Uh, Maybe you take some chocolate chip cookie dough and you put it in a mold. Amen? And what happens? Well, when you pop whatever substrate was in the mold after it hardens out of the mold, guess what just happened? Well, you now have the shape of the mold. That's exactly what Peter's talking about here as he's painting a picture. He says, look, you've been rescued because you've fully given your lives to Christ. You're obedient children that are on this plane, on this trajectory saying, I want to live for Christ. He says, in the midst of the temptations, and they're there, they're everywhere. Satan's buffet of temptations are everywhere. Peter says, look, don't be conformed. Don't get pressed into the world's mold. That's your former previous conduct and behavior. Don't go back to the sewer. Don't go back to the cesspool. Why would anyone who's truly given their life to Christ want to go back to all the foolishness and the wickedness of their former life? doesn't make any sense. And that's Peter's point. He says, in the battlefield of your mind, as you're preparing your mind for action, as you're self-controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit, as you're setting your gaze on the one, don't be pressed into the world's mold. Press your life into Jesus. Let Him mold you. Let Him be the potter. Let you be the clay. Let you be the one that says, oh Lord, make me and break me. Shape me. Do whatever you need to do with my life. Nevertheless, Lord, not what I will, but what you will. And that's the cry of the heart here with Peter. So this is why key number one is so important. Write down key number one in your notes. Biblical obedience... is not the result of external behavior modification. Biblical obedience is the result of internal heart transformation. Let me say that again. Key number one, biblical obedience is not the result of external behavior modification, period. Biblical obedience is the result of internal heart transformation. You could say it like this, when you have truly been changed from the inside out, you want to obey the Lord. I mean, just deductively go with me on this journey. If you've truly given your life to the Lord, and again, that's always the key first question. So many people are trying to act like Jesus, but they've never given their life to Him. It's hard to imitate someone who you're truly not surrendered to. 
And here in God's Word, we see very clear that He's not asking us just to modify our behavior, going back to the children analogy. It'd be very easy as a child to modify their behavior to continue to get away with that which their parents have told them not to do. Just modify it. Well, you know what, they want me to smile, I'll smile. They want me to stand on my head, I'll stand on my head. You know, whatever they want, but I'm going to continue under the surface to rebel, to defy. No, biblical freedom through Jesus is simply through this premise that we don't raise the hand, say the prayer, do the card, we'll sign the card, get dunked, all external, nothing internal happens, and then we all shake our heads wondering why Jimmy and Susie, who did this at six years old, are nowhere to be found spiritually. It's all about a heart being given to the Lord. And as you give your life to the Lord, that's an internal, internal process. That's an internal issue that happens in your life that occurs. It's an event in your life that occurs. And what happens through that is now you begin to live for Jesus. Your life and my life, as far as how we live our lives, is a complete outflow of our union with Christ. So no matter where you are in your walk, and I pray everyone across the room today has given their life to Christ. I pray it's real. I pray it's true. My prayer is that it's not phony. My prayer is not a charade. My prayer is that everyone across this room has truly given your life. I mean, just truly surrendered your life to Jesus. Therefore, since that's the case, if you've done that, everything will be an outflow Everything springs forth from the one who's given you new life. He's taken you from death to life, from darkness to light, from the grip of Satan to the power of God. Everything is an outflow. And yet the reality, as you know this, is that if you have not given your life to Jesus, the same principle holds true. If you've never truly given your life to Christ today, Everything in your life will be an outflow of you not giving your life to Jesus. That's how this works. And I was meditating on that whole thought, and you know, many people's lives are a mess on the outside because their lives are a spiritual mess on the inside. When your life is a spiritual mess on the inside, that will manifest itself on the outside. And as you weave your way through that process of obedience and what that looks like, when a person is disobedient to the Lord, they truly don't grasp what the Lord did for them as they lived a life and are living a life of being offensive to Him. When you grasp what the Lord has done for you, when it begins to sink in, when you begin to understand of what He really did, and it's not something we celebrate in the springtime once a year called Easter, but for the true believer in Jesus Christ, Resurrection Sunday is every day of your life. We celebrate it because it's what we hang our hat on. It is the whole ball game. If Jesus doesn't run out of that grave, nothing else matters. But we could argue that because He did run out of that grave, when you give your life to Him, nothing else matters. That's the whole point. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And not partially free. Not just so we can get through life and coast and you know, get the house on the beach and the sailboat and everything else that we dream for. It's not the American dream. It's the American nightmare. Obedience. You say, well, what does the Bible have to say about obedience? Well, it says several things. And I believe one of the struggles before I give you these verses is that we 
I think we're learning more clearly that there's many people across our country today that have a good academic grasp on Jesus. They have a good working knowledge. Just a good academic grasp. Oh, I know Jesus. But the problem goes back to they've never given their life to Him. Even the demons believe and tremble. They intellectually get this, and they go one step further. They emotionally respond to it. They tremble. The person who's really given their life to Christ believes it intellectually. They respond with emotion. Oh, I can't believe you've done this for me. And then they go, there's an act of the will that says, here, take my life. It's no longer my own. That's salvation, according to Scripture. Write down Luke 6.46 under your key number one about obedience. Luke 6.46, this is what the Word says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, Jesus says, and not do what I tell you? I mean, right there, if you're curious, what does Jesus think about obeying Him? There it is. Luke 6.46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do? Do not obey what I tell you to do. So many times we see there throughout Scripture people saying things about Jesus. But the proof's always in the pudding, isn't it? The rubber meets the road, doesn't it? We can talk a good game, but what do our actions back up? And so many in that last day will say, but Jesus... And this is what just troubles my soul. There's going to be so many good church-going people. I believe even deacons, and I believe even pastors who are going to be pleading on that day. Jesus, wait a minute. Man, we preached in your name. We prophesied in your name. We did miracles in your name. And he says, depart from me. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. It wasn't that I knew you at one point and somehow this got convoluted and now we just kind of scrapped it and threw the baby out with the bathwater. No, it's I never knew you. I didn't know you. You said you knew me. I didn't know you. My sheep know me. My sheep hear my voice and my sheep obey me is what Jesus says. Do you think obedience is a big deal? Well, according to Scripture, it's a huge deal. So you got to remember this, church, Obedience is an outflow not for your salvation, but rather from your salvation. You obey not so that God will accept you. You obey because He did accept you. So often we say, let's accept Jesus. And I get the point. I've said it probably a thousand times. Understand the concept. We need to get to the point where we're pleading with Jesus. Jesus, will you accept me? That's the role of obedience in the true believer's life. You're probably wondering, now that I gave you one verse, I know you want two to make it fair. So here's James 1.22. Write that one down. James 1.22. We studied this when we went through the book of James. But be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Why? Deceiving yourselves. Be doers, be obeyers of the Word, not just hearers. Hey, I heard it. It was great. Uh, Let's get out of here. Let's beat the rush to to the Golden Corral. And it kind of goes in one ear and out the other. We're not changed by it. Be doers of it. Church, it's so difficult for a truly saved person to internalize the Word from an auditory standpoint, from a visual standpoint, and not be moved by the power of the Holy Spirit to greatly desire to want to go obey. Be doers of it and not just hearers, because here's the deal. When I hear it, but choose to be rebellious and defiant, I'm not listening to you. I am actually deceiving myself. It literally means this in the original language, to be seduced. See, that's the whole point of sin. 
it seduces. The angel that we would say is the fallen angel, the devil himself, he masquerades as what? A cosmopolitan of light. Oh, he looks so good. He doesn't show up in a red suit, funny eyebrows, pitchfork, goatee. Ding dong, I'm here. I'm here to destroy your life. Can I come in? No, <laughs> he looks so good. I mean, he's the one. Oh, that's going to dull my pain and fill my void right there. Come on in. If we're not on our guard, we're not being obedient. And the enemy, he will deceive me. He will deceive you. And church, I know this and you know this. But my sin and your sin, the consequences of it are never singular in nature. They're always corporate in nature. So when I sin, I'm affecting my family. When I sin, I'm affecting my church. And when you sin, you're doing the exact same things. And we bring that in here. And we're actually asking for the Lord to take His hand off of us. How serious this is. Obedience is not an optional thing to do in the true believer's life. It's a thing you want to do in the true believer's life. I want you to think about this verse 15 for a moment as we drive deep into this. And as you look at verse 15, I want to give you a quote from Charles Finney, the great evangelist. He said this, A revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. Isn't that awesome? Just a new beginning. Oh Lord, we repent. We repent. We want to obey You with everything we are all the days of our lives, oh God. Verse 15, 1 Peter 1 says this, but as He who called you is holy, so note that, but as He who called, He who summoned you, He's bidding come forth, He's called you, is holy, you also be holy, how, when, in all your conduct. So we can establish this truth from God's Word that God is holy and He's commanded us to be holy. So He is holy. That There's no dispute on that statement that our God is holy. What does it mean to be holy? Well, it doesn't mean to be holier than thou like we think it, like some self-righteousness, pridefulness, let me impress everyone spiritually. That's not holiness. That's deception. That's sinfulness. Holiness is this, being set apart to be consecrated in such the way that literally it's sacred. So our God is set apart, amen? There is no God like our God. The Bible says this, that I am the God, I form the light, I create the darkness. I, God, do all of these things. There is none like me. That's our God, amen? So we are to be holy. In what? In all. You know, it's interesting when you study that word in the original, here's what it means. All. Like there's no wiggle room. Well, can I fudge over here? Can I kind of squeeze out over here, Lord? No. In all that I do and all that you do, if you're professing to be a true believer in Christ, if you profess today that I've given my life to Jesus, the loving admonition and command from God Himself is that we are to pursue holiness. Now, we can't do it on our own, amen? It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells the true believer, that He will give us the guidance. He will give us the courage. He will give us the wisdom and discernment because we know the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So as we process this, we should make it our aim, the true believer today, to say, look, I've tried everything else, and maybe that's you here today. Maybe you've dabbled in the enemy's buffet, and you've tried this, and you've tried that, and you realize that every one of those things on his buffet, even though they're greatly disguised and they look so appealing, they're all traps. They're spiritual traps that will lead you deeper and deeper into your despair 
not out of your despair. And here, Peter, you got to remember, he's writing to a people that has been put to flight. They're persecuted. These aren't people living in a $6 million parsonage on the beach. These people have a big struggle in their lives. And he's saying, look, I want to remind you that as you gird up your mind for action, as you prepare your mind for action, here's the beauty he's saying here. Don't set your mind on things here this earth. Set your mind, missile lock your mind fully on Jesus. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Do you think obedience is important? It's real important. Because key number two would say it like this. Key number two, write it down in your notes. God's call to us to be holy is a command, not a suggestion. Key number two, write it down. God's call to us to be holy is a command and not a suggestion. I think what happens is, and it's just easy, it's part of human nature, you know, when the pressure's on, it's very motivating, isn't it? Like really motivating. But God and what we call His passive judgment right now can give the appearance in our finite minds that he's kind of letting the slack out in the rope of the being called to obedience and being called to holiness, right? Well, he hasn't struck me with lightning yet, so he must be okay with this. Wrong. He's actually giving us more grace to repent before it's too late. When his word says, be holy, be obedient, These are not suggestions. These are commands. Why? Because if you're truly redeemed, if your life has been truly regenerated, if your life has truly been saved and rescued, if you've truly given your life to Christ, there will be an outflow from that that even though you're not perfect and I'm not perfect, we will have a desire to please Him. Paul said it like this, I make it my aim to be well-pleasing to Him. And so often we somehow come to this conclusion that, well, I'm living, I'm breathing, things are pretty good, He must be okay with this. God is never okay with my sin against Him, period. Don't fall into that false narrative that somehow you can walk in disobedience, not be pursuing holiness, and God stands back and goes, hey, golf clap, good effort. His desire for me and His desire for you is to be conformed to the image of His Son. We are image bearers of the risen Savior, Jesus. And for the one who is truly saved, you have His Spirit living inside of you. I mean, just think about that for a moment as I process that even right now. So if you're truly saved, if I'm truly saved, I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. Why would I want to sin? Why would I want to disobey? Why would I want to be unforgiving? Why would I want to have that lousy attitude? Why would I want to be lazy? Why would I talk about other people in a gossipy manner? I mean, on and on and on and on we go. Christ has come just not to give us fire insurance, He's come to set us free from the grip and the dominion of sin. 
And when you get a bunch of people together that embrace and understand that deep biblical doctrine, watch out. They say that people will come for miles to watch a fire burn. Oh, when a group of people begin to burn like that, people will begin to come for miles. Because they know that's something that will forever fill the void and dull the pain of their life. Think about these thoughts here. Blackaby said it like this regarding our prayer life, regarding our holiness and our obedience. Because so often it's so tempting to cast our opinions, isn't it? We all have opinions, and opinions can be good. But Blackaby made me think. He really caused me to ponder this past week when I saw this quote. Here's what Blackaby said. The last thing the Lord needs is your unprayed over opinion. End quote. Wow. Boy, that's convicting, isn't it? It's a truth that I need to hear, though. See, the truth offends. The, the truth is what it is. But the reality is, we know this, the truth will set us free. We're either walking in truth or walking in untruth. There's no middle ground. If you ride the fence, you've got to remember, as one person said, Satan owns the fence. So is obedience or holiness, are those concepts, are they important? Do you think they're important, church? I know they're important. So we have two questions here. There's two questions I want to address here under this key number two. Number one is, does Scripture clearly direct us that God is holy? Question one, does Scripture clearly direct us that God is holy? See, you will never begin to live in the peace of God nor the power of God until you begin to live in obedience and holiness. You want the peace? You want the power? Everyone votes yes, 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 yes. It's through obedience and holiness as we first have given our life to Christ and everything's an outflow. So here's what God's Word says. Write down Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. Is God holy is the question. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. Listen to the words of Isaiah addressing this question of is God holy. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. Here it is. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord upon a throne. Now go with me, church, on this. He's high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, now picture this right now. So imagine in this room today, this really big room here today, imagine that the train of the Lord's robe. I mean, you've been to some weddings and you've seen some really long trains on dresses. Amen? Uh, this is like spiritual steroids trains. You know what I'm saying? Can you imagine this entire room? The train of the Lord is just filling the temple. He's high. He's lifted up. And then the Bible says in verse 2, above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said... Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Now pause there for a moment. We got a train that is all over the room. We got holy, holy, holy being proclaimed. We have smoke all over the room. The foundation of the building is shaking. Oh, how I pray, church. I pray that the church of Jesus Christ would begin to shake. Amen. I believe it begin to shake with His glory, with all of His splendor. So what happened? Well, here's Isaiah's response. Now, don't miss this. Scripture shows us who God is. But we all have a response. You don't get a pass to not respond. God's here. We're here. 
He's holy. We're commanded to be holy. We have a response. Here's what the Word says. Isaiah 6, verse 5. Isaiah, and I said... Here's his response. That's pretty cool. Actually, that's awesome. How'd you do that trick? That's amazing. Can you show me how to do that? No, here's what he really said. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he, he touched my mouth, and he said these words, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, question, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Response, Isaiah, then I said, here am I, here am I, send me. Oh, I just pray for a move of the Holy Spirit all over our country today for Christians to rise up and count everything else as loss, to be determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that we'd all lay our lives on the altar today as living sacrifices. And our only response is, woe is me, for I am undone. Oh, here am I. Send me, O God. And that's my prayer for me and and for you today as we pursue this holiness. Revelation chapter 4 goes on in verses 8 through 11. If you're wondering still, is God holy? Well, here's what it says. I know it's eschatology and can be a little confusing, but Here's what the Word of God says, Revelation 4, 8-11. through And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. Wow, that's a visual. But here it is. Don't miss this. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, Holy, Holy. We call the trihagion. Try for three. It's the glorious exaltation and doxology to our great God and King, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's holy. He's holy. He's holy. There is none like our God. Amen? And then the Word goes on in Revelation 4. Who is and was and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, what do they do? Well, they stand up and they tell Jesus how great they are. They stand up and they tell Jesus how much He needs them. No. The 24 elders, what do they do? They fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and they begin to worship Him forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are You. Worthy are You our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things and by Your will they existed and were created. Is God holy? Does He expect us to be holy and to pursue holiness? You better believe it. Be holy for I am holy. 
under key number two, write this last verse down. And the question is this, should we be imitators of God? Should we be imitators of God? Very simple verse, Ephesians 5.1. Ephesians 5.1, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Wow. So wait a minute. We're in 1 Peter. Now we're in Ephesians. you got Peter and Paul writing two different books, and they're both using the word children. Therefore, be imitators of God. Look to God. He's holy. Be holy. Follow Him. Jesus Christ, yes, was even obedient. Obedient to the point of death on a cross. Jesus got butchered and executed on a cruel Roman cross for His obedience. I pray that we are prepared for the battle ahead. So finally, verse 16. Here it is. So Peter's going to double down on this. He's going to give you a bogo on this critical nature of this command, not suggestion of being holy. When he says this, 1 Peter 1.16, since it is written, don't miss that, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Since it's written, I believe the Bible is true. I believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me, right? I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Do you believe the Bible is the inspired, true Word of God? Do you believe that today, church? I believe that today. I hang my hat on that. I rest my hope in it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Well, here's your key number three along that line. And here it is. Key number three. A key tenant to pursuing holiness is to unwaveringly stand on the truth of the written Word of God. Key number three. I write this down. A key tenant to pursuing holiness is to unwaveringly stand on the truth of the written Word of God. It's so easy to not do this. And maybe you're here today going, I want to do this. Well, here's a great point of reference. Begin to stand on the truth of Scripture. Begin to stand on it. I was thinking of a song here yesterday, and I was listening to it, and it stirred me to my core. It's entitled, The Great I Am. Here are some of the lyrics, and I pray they will, they will shake you as well. The mountains shake before you. The demons run and flee. At the mention of your name, King of Majesty. There is no power in hell or anyone who can stand before the power and the presence of the great I Am. Amen? What an incredible thought that we stand before King Jesus, but we also, when we've given our lives to Him, we stand with Him. We are on the winning team. If you've given your life to Christ, you are on the winning team. The battle belongs to the Lord no matter how hard this gets. You were under that blood, under that covering. And people ask, where are you? Say, I'm, I'm hanging out under the blood. I'm resting under the royal righteous blood of Jesus Christ and Him alone. And because of that, like Paul said there in Philippians 3, we'll be able to plead the only thing you can plead on that day, and that is simply this, and having been found in Him, not having my own righteousness. So I want to give you some verses. And key number three, what does God's Word say about God's Word? That'd be the question. What does God's Word say about God's Word? Well, here's Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Did you catch this? The Word of God is. These verses I'm giving you, as you're writing them down, people will say, well, what is the Word of God? You can go, 
Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is. You can then go Psalm 119.105. Psalm 119.105. It's that short little chapter in the Old Testament, Psalm 119. Go home and memorize that this afternoon, that whole chapter. Psalm 119.105. Your Word, Your Word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet. That's a light unto my path. Your Word is. That's what God's Word is. It's a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. All Scripture is. What? Breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. There it is. Why? 17. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I bet you're wondering what the Gospel of John says about the Word. Well, write down John 17, 17. John 17, 17. Here's what it says. Sanctify. Wait a minute, we've heard that word before, haven't we? Set them apart. Make them holy in the truth. Comma, your word is truth, period. There it is. If people are wondering what is truth, it's the word of God. John 17, 17. It's the word of God. The word of God will set you free today. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of my God will stand forever. When God speaks, he speaks with a loud voice, doesn't he? Steve Lawson said it like this, when God speaks, He does not whisper. He roars with the sound of many waters. His voice drowns out every other opinion. Oh, I pray today we'll seek to be obedient and we'll seek to be holy. God will bless your home. He'll bless your life. He'll bless your church if you pursue to live in obedience and holiness. So here's the takeaway question. What can we take away from this? Well, let's go in this direction. Here it is. Is what I am currently going through God's attempt to get my spiritual attention? Question mark. Is what I am currently going through God's attempt to get my spiritual attention? Is every trial an act of disobedience? What do you think? Well, the best way to answer that is with the truth of God's Word, amen? And we know from John 9 that, well, what does it say there? you got the disciples and there's the guy who's blind from birth and In that culture, they attribute it. Think about this. That disobedience there is going to result in someone being sick. John 9, right there, it says this. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Can you be living in trials today and be in the center of God's will? Amen, 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 right? We can also be living in in sin. And that's why God is allowing the trials. So what do we do? What are the action steps here today? I'm going to give you three practical application steps that you can take away today. Pursuing obedience and holiness. Number one, here it is. Pursue personal humility daily. Pursue personal humility daily. Now, if you're here today and you say, I really don't need to humble myself. Well, let me give you some verses that might encourage you in a different direction. Proverbs 11.2. Just write these down. I'm going to give you several. Proverbs 11.2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 11.2. How about Proverbs 16.5? Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination, or in the Hebrew it means to be disgusting, to the Lord. 
Be assured, he will not go unpunished. That's Proverbs 16.5. How about Proverbs 16.18? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's Proverbs 16.18. How about Proverbs 28.14? Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. There's that hardening of the heart again. Just learned yesterday from someone who gave me this information that that the heart is mentioned over 800 times in Scripture more than love and more than forgiveness. There's something about the heart that when the heart is stony, when the heart is calloused, when the heart is rebellious, we know right here from James 4, 5, but He, God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. If we're not pursuing humility, which by the way is a key definer of a true mark of a saved person, you and I will be growing in more and more humility through that salvation sanctification process. Here's the deal. If we're saying, look, I don't have anything for that, we are literally asking God to give us a stiff arm. He is opposed to us. He's literally going to war against us. I mean, can you imagine in your home that you're rebelling against God and unbeknownst to you, God's going to war against your home? For the prideful person, God's going to war against you. For the prideful church, He's going to war. We must, number one, pursue humility daily. Number two, pursue personal repentance daily. Pursue personal repentance daily. If you're asking, what do I need to repent from? What do I need to repent from? My advice would be immediately run back to step number one. Pursue personal humility daily. What does the Bible say about repentance? Well, the most famous, we you know, you probably have a coffee mug or maybe a pillow with a cross stitched on is, of course, 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, not the world, if my people who are called, oh, there's that word, drawn to, come near, if my people who are called by my name, very interesting, will humble themselves. You think this just arbitrarily got thrown in there as number one? I don't think so. Will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn, repent from their wicked ways. Then, here it is, then I will hear. I'll hear from heaven and will forgive. I'll pardon their sin and I'll finally heal their land. We'll never Church, listen closely. I believe this with 100% clarity. I believe we will never see revival in America, massive revival in America, till we first see massive repentance in the church. It's not going to happen. We're on a fool's errand. We must repent and do it daily. Because Matthew 3.8 says this, Matthew 3.8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So the fruit that the truly saved person bears keeps with a humble heart that repents. You just don't repent when you're six and like, got that over with. Come on, God, follow me around the rest of my life. That's just not how this works. I know we've, throughout the American church, we've fed people that line, but it's unbiblical. It's heretical. We're here for Christ. He's our master. He's our Lord. We worship Him. We give everything to Him. We hold nothing back. Total surrender, total abandon. We renounce everything and just say, Jesus, I'm all yours. And that's why lastly, key number three, must pursue personal desperate prayer daily. We must pursue personal desperate prayer daily. 
Why, by the way, do you think we're using the word personal? Any ideas? Why don't we just pursue humility? Why don't we just pursue repentance? Pursue prayer? Why personal? You know why? Because who I am and who you are privately will at some point be exposed corporately. Who I am. If this is really real, it's going to be exposed for being real. Who you are. If it's really real and you're really in for Jesus and you've really given your life to Him, it's going to be revealed for what it is. So here are two final Scriptures under prayer. Personal, desperate daily prayer, number three. Colossians 4.2. Colossians 4.2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then lastly, Psalm 34.17. When the righteous cry for help, and maybe that's you today, you're crying out to the Lord. Here's the assurance the Lord hears. Got to be righteous though. When the righteous cries for help, how do you become righteous? Through Jesus, not through your own works. It's through the blood of Christ. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles and all God's people shouted, Amen. So, are biblical obedience and holiness a big deal? They are. We operate in reality, not denial. We can live in denial, but it will never change reality. We face the truth that we're living in a post-Christian America when there's little to zero cost to following Christ according to the culture. And so I pray today as we worship our King, I pray for me and I pray for every one of us across this room that will desire to be obedient, that will desire to live a holy life. Because we got one shot at this church. We got one shot. When it's our time to, to meet Jesus, there aren't any do overs. Oh, I pray we're all running hard for His glory. All for the fame of His name. To make much of Him. To give Him glory. To be disciples that make disciples. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before You. and Oh Lord, we, we just bow before You today. We, we worship You in this time. Or maybe there's one here today that truthfully has never given their life to You. Oh, Father, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit will you stir in that heart right now? Oh, Father, I pray would you move. Just move right now. Don't allow that person to walk in darkness nor disobedience any longer. But Lord, by your power, by your strength, would you move? Right now, would you stir? Stir, Lord, all over this place to stir. Give us a heart, O oh Lord, that desires to please You and obey You. A heart that wants to walk in holiness. You've commanded us to do both. Don't allow us to live in lukewarm apathy and indifference any longer. But help us to be all in. All in. Total surrender. Total obedience. Total pursuit of holiness. Lord, move in this place today, in this time of decision. As the altars open, Lord, I pray you begin to move, knowing that our disobedience will greatly cost us individually. Our disobedience will greatly cost our families. And our disobedience will greatly cost our church. Oh, Father, I pray, stir in my heart today. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Search me, O oh God. Try me, O oh God. See if there's any wicked way in me, O oh God. 
And then lead me, O God, in the way everlasting. Oh, Father, I pray that's the cry of every heart here today. As we sing this song, do the work only you can do. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.